But let's talk about singing. Why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about singing? Well, actually, what we're, we're doing every time we gather together, if you think about it, on Sunday evening, on Sunday morning, is that we join together and we sing. This is a big part of what we actually do in church. If you think about the amount of time that we devote uh, to singing, perhaps not as many as some other churches, but we devote quite a bit of time to singing uh, in our church. And actually, this is a big part of our identity as believers. We're talking about worship. And actually, that's who we are. So if we worship God through the Lord Jesus. We're worshippers. We're made to worship. But here's my big idea for this evening uh, that we'll be thinking through. It's possible to sing without worshipping. That's point one, if you like. And it's possible to worship without singing. So one of my big things this evening is going to be that we mustn't equate those two things, singing and worship. That doesn't mean that singing isn't important and it doesn't have a role to play, but the two things are not exactly the same. It can cause all sorts of problems when we start to, to make them identical with each other. So we're going to look through three, three points to sort of help us think this through from the Bible uh, this evening. The first thing is we're going to do is look at Old Testament worship. What does the Old Testament say about worship? Now, worship in the Old Testament includes singing, but it was far from the focus of Old Testament worship. Old Testament worship, if you think about it, we saw it when we looked at the book of Leviticus, didn't we? Focuses around sacrifices. If you read about people worshipping in the Old Testament, often what they're talking about is going and taking a bull and making a sacrifice, or a, or a lamb, or a, a goat. That's why in the book of Leviticus, for example, the priests use a guide, so to speak, there's lots of mention of sacrifice, but there's no mention of singing. So in terms of the temple, in terms of what goes on, there was no mention of singing uh, there in Leviticus. And also in the Old Testament, you have lines like this. This is one of my favourite uh, verses for, for looking at this. It's on the back of your notice sheets. Exodus 10, verse 26. This is Moses explaining to Pharaoh why he has to go out uh, into the wilderness and take their livestock with them. He says, our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoop is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshipping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. So his idea there is he has to take all the cattle, all the, the sheep, all the animals with them because they don't know how God is going to ask them to worship, but they know that they're going to need those to worship. Well, unless you have singing cows, I know we have laughing cows, don't we? But singing cows, worship there must mean something else. And the words that are used in the Old Testament also carry this broader meaning. So even words that we think we know what they mean. So the normal word for worship that's used, I don't speak Hebrew very well, but it's shaka uh, is the normal word for worship in the strictest sense. And what it literally means is to bow down, even to sort of prostrate yourself on the floor. It, it's to sort of come down. And nearly always in the Bible it's used of animal sacrifice. It's the idea of, of worshipping in that sense of, of sacrificing. There are other words, though, that are used to talk about singing. So, halla, which is where we get our word hallelujah, means to praise. Literally, it means to shine clearly, to boast in something. So, hallelujah is praise the Lord, boast in the Lord. And that's used 165 times in the Old Testament. It's a big one in the Psalms. 
the other word, worship, is only used 64 times, but it always has another other meaning. You also get the word yada, which is where we get our word uh, Judah from. Uh, also it says tada, which I think sort of sounds like it. Uh, but it means to praise or to give thanks. And it's literally to throw out one's hands. That's the, the notion. It's a very physical word. And that's used 150 times in the Old Testament. You've got zamar, to sing praise. Literally it means to strike with one's fingers. It's more to do actually with playing the instruments that go along with the singing. You get the word barak, which means to bless someone. And that's literally to kneel. So you get phrases in the Bible where it talks about bless the Lord, O my soul. That's literally bow the knee, if you like. That's the imagery that's being used. It's used 18 times in the Old Testament of God. So there's all those words that can have quite a broad meaning uh, and quite a broad uh, sense. But there is a word that literally just means to sing or to go about singing, uh, which is sheer or sure, it depends where it is, used 86 times. So when it talks about in the Song of Moses that we read before, when it says that he sang, that's the word that it uses, that he, he, he sheared, he, he sang to the Lord. So we see there that singing and praise does happen, but it's not actually used in the same places as worship. It's just part of worship that goes on. So when the temple is rededicated by Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 29, you get the two sort of put together, but they mean slightly different things. So then Hezekiah commanded that burnt offerings be offered on the altar. And when the burnt offerings began, the song to the Lord began also. And the trumpets, accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. When the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with them bowed themselves and worshipped. And Hezekiah, the king and the officials, commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and they worshipped. Do you hear all those words sort of coming together? There's different things meant by each of those words as we go through. It's got a multi-faceted picture, if you like, like a kaleidoscope of what's going on. They're linked, but they're not the same. So worship can have a broader meaning. So that's Old Testament worship. What about New Testament singing? Well, the New Testament never refers to singing as worship. Our spiritual worship in the New Testament is offering our bodies as living sacrifices. So if you think about Romans 12, verse 1, it's to do with uh, offering our bodies. This is your spiritual worship. This is your reasonable service to God. And it's actually the sacrifice language that we find in the Old Testament. That's what worship is. And that's our worship without singing. So actually, as we offer our bodies as living sacrifices... We're worshipping God. And if you want to know more about that, just before lockdown, we started a series in worship. This was the next one uh, after, <laughs> was to look at singing. Um, but we started to talk about the way that actually all of our lives lived to God can be an act of worship. It doesn't have to just be about singing. As we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, that can be worshipping the Lord. So that's our worship without singing. But that's not to say that the New Testament doesn't talk about singing. So in our passage, Colossians 3, 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Funnily enough, if you notice, the next verse goes back to that broader image, Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Puts the two together, just like in the Old Testament. But we do see some clear things from our passage about singing. There are really three goals to singing, three things that it's for. And if we get our heads around this, I think it really will revolutionise how and why we sing. So there's three sort of directions that singing goes. The first one in our passage is inward. Okay, inward, that's the first direction. <coughs> I doubt that's where we normally start or think about when we talk about singing, because you normally think of it as outward, but actually that's where our verses, our verse starts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's what it's talking about here. One of the goals of singing is that Christ's word would dwell in our hearts. One of our goals of singing is that it makes what God says stick in our hearts and our minds. So think about the memory verse songs that we learned last year during lockdown. My memory is terrible, and people often say, you know, oh yeah, my memory's no good, I could never memorise any bits of the Bible, I could never do that. And yet we know all the words, don't we, to American Pie. Or, you know, some other song that we, uh, whatever your particular band of choice is. We know those words, don't we? And actually hymns and things that we've sung since we were children, actually they stick in our minds, don't they? If you want uh, to do something interesting, if you get uh, somebody who's got dementia, even in their old age, if you start singing to them a song that they learned when they were younger, often they will join in. So we used to do Spring Gardens Nursing Home. And uh, they might not really remember what you were saying or even be able to hear properly. But when you started singing, even though they can't read the words, the words came back to them. Music has this amazing ability, God-given ability, to make things stick in our mind, to help us remember and digest God's word. And it's amazing, you know, actually when, you know, something's happening and verses come to mind, often it's things that I've learned in songs that come to mind in those difficult situations. So, actually, that is part of what we're doing when we sing. But if that is one of our goals, if letting the word dwell in us richly is one of the goals of singing, then we want to sing songs that are saturated by scripture and scriptural truth, that are rich in Christ's word, so that Christ's word will dwell in us richly. There are also songs, as we sing, that address ourselves. I don't know if you've ever noticed that as we sing songs and sort of speak to ourselves inwardly. And we preach the word to ourselves as we do those songs, as we sing those songs. The Psalms do the same thing. So think about songs that we sing, My Troubled Soul, Why So Laid Down. Who's that directed at? Me, the singer. Be still my soul, the Lord is on your side. Who's that addressed to? To me, the singer, it's preaching it to yourself. So there's an inward facet to singing as we sing. But all singing in church should have that inward aspect. It's helping it to dwell in our hearts. And if we're singing words that are good and are helpful, it'll make them stick in our hearts. Good things living in our hearts. So it should be helping Christ's word to dwell in us as an inward aspect. But if that's true, why do we sing them out loud? Well, the second direction and the second reason is outward. Outward. 
So part of the goal in what we're doing is it says, doesn't it, that uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. We're teaching and admonishing one another. Part of the goal of singing is outward, horizontal. We sing to help the people around us. We teach one another. We encourage one another. We admonish one another even. Tell each other off, if you like, in this sort of way you talk to children, or warn one another. Part of why we sing is to serve the people around us. It's a service. It's a ministry that we have. And that means that you actually need to sing out loud. Now you might think my voice is nothing special or worse. But it's there for the people around you, believe it or not. We learn, don't we, in the Bible that as a church we belong to one another as part of a body. We're there to encourage one another, to build one another up. And one of the ways that we can do this is to sing. And to sing within the hearing of other people. And there are songs that are specially geared this way. Even one you might, ones you might not think about. You might think they're directed at God, but they're actually directed at each other. So we're going to sing uh, later, How Great Is Our God. How Great Is Our God. Sing with me. Who's that addressed to? You're addressing one another. You're saying, sing with me. You could even look round, couldn't you, at one another, because that's who you're talking to. Behold our God. Maybe singing voice thing. Behold our God seated on his throne. Come let us adore him. It's a call to the people around you and to yourself to praise God. Or more obvious ones. Oh church arise and put your armour on. Who are you talking to? You're talking to one another. You're telling one another to put your armour on. Church of God elect and glorious, be the people it's addressed to the people around you. As I say, you can even look at the people around you as you sing. I know that's a bit freaky sometimes. But that's actually who you're talking to in those songs. So you're doing the inward thing, but you're also doing the outward thing to the people around you. So part of singing is service to others. So you actually need to sing. And it matters then if you hear. We all know the, the sort of situation, don't we, where, you know, there just aren't the voices really to sing. Uh, again, sort of thinking spring gardens when there was only a few of us. Actually, it's harder to sing when there's fewer of you, isn't there? And it was frustrating during lockdown that actually, even though we could sing along with a screen, we couldn't hear each other sing. That was part of what that is there for, to encourage one another. So actually, it's a service, it's a ministry that we do. So it's not just about me sort of being there and inward. Lastly, though, there's a third direction and a third reason, upward. So uh, read our verse again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's an upward aspect of singing, thanksgiving and praise to God. Now this is probably the first one that comes to mind when we think about singing, but actually it's the last one in our verse. And it's also something that takes place, notice, in our hearts. With thanksgiving in our hearts to God. That means that it's possible to sing without it being worship. Because actually we can sing the words, but if our hearts are doing something different, then it's not worship. Jesus and Isaiah both spoke about this, so Matthew 15 verse 8. Jesus says, this people honour me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. 
He's saying that this is something that takes place in your heart as you sing. So it doesn't matter whether you've got a great singing voice. God in one sense is not listening to your voice. That's for the service of the people around you. He's listening to your heart. What is your heart doing? So whatever your singing voice, every believer can do this. And there are many songs geared to this upward direction. Praise and prayer, thanksgiving, be thou my vision. Address to God. You are beautiful beyond description. Speak, O Lord, it's a prayer. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice. It's a prayer to God. So all those three directions are a play as we sing. There are some songs that are more suited to one than the other. But in all of them, that's what we're doing. We've got that inward direction, that outward direction, and that upward direction. And all three directions are important. And it's important to have a mix of all three. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but often when I'm introducing songs, I actually mention what direction they're going. I don't know if this is an upward direction song. But I'll tell you that this is a song that's a prayer. This is a song that's addressed that tells us to do this to the people around us. But whatever song we're singing, there should be all three aspects going on, God willing. But what about music? That's something that's linked with singing, it mentions with those songs, you know, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Music is not mentioned in the New Testament with singing. Singing, yes. All those variety of, of different songs, yes. But no mention of music. So some Christians have taken this to mean no music. That we should sing unaccompanied. And I've met Christians who believe that. Other Christians have argued that as it's not mentioned that we have freedom in this area within the guidance of scripture. And I would tend to agree with that second view. You'd be glad to hear we won't be singing a cappella this evening. So long as we understand that the role of music is to help us in our singing. That's what music is for, to help us in our singing. If it doesn't help us sing, then it's not good music. No matter how nice the tune, uh, no matter how lovely the sort of, you know, arrangement is, if it doesn't help us sing, that is what the music is for, to help us sing. Now that doesn't mean that it has to be drab or stale. Music can be beautiful. I think that's an amazing thing that God has given us in the gift of music, isn't it? It can be beautiful. We don't need to make it as boring as possible so that we don't, don't have any sort of uh, nice things in our music. But we don't want the music to become the focus. We don't want it to be all about that. Music should not be a performance. We should be able to hear one another sing. So even the person who organises the PA or the, you know, the, the levels on the speaker has a role to play here. Because you have the right song, right words, right heart, but wrong volume. And it can spoil it, can't it? So the New Testament has lots to say about how we sing, and I really think that will change how we uh, sing together. But then finally, I just wanted to do a bit of myth-busting, uh, just to think, help me think through some of the implications of this. So briefly, myth-busting, five minutes, I'm just going to take us through ones I've heard over the years, and we'll bust them apart. So here we go, first myth, one style of music is better than another. One style of music is better than another. And what I want to say is what counts is whether you can sing it. There's no holy music, nor holy lyrics, so to speak. Uh, sorry, oh sorry, only holy lyrics, let me get that right. There's no holy music, only holy lyrics, so to speak. That means organs are not more holy than pianos. Yeah? 
That also means then, though, that pianos are not more holy than guitars. And guitars are not more holy than drums. It's partly about contextualisation. It's got to fit with the, the people that are around you in the world, okay? So think about this. If, if you were taking the church to the Amazon rainforest, you wouldn't take a grand piano, would you, into the Amazon rainforest? You would expect that the style of singing, the style of music, would fit the area that they're in. You wouldn't expect to say, oh, no, 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 it's got to be a piano. Oh, no, it's got to be an organ, even. You know, taking that to the middle of, uh, you know, the Amazon rainforest or the Sahara deserts. You wouldn't expect them to load classical piano, would you, out there? How would you expect them to sing? How would you expect them to play? But you'd expect them to do it with instruments that are native to their culture, that are normal to them. Why have we ditched the organ in the UK? Isn't it because the piano and the guitar and the drum, that's more normal now in our culture? And we only had the organ when that was normal in our culture. But even then that was controversial. Actually all these steps are, aren't they? The devil's music. But there's a sense in which the style of music should match the culture that we live in. All music is culturally embedded. It's just that actually we forget that the, the thing we think of as not being cultural is just an old culture. There was a time when some hymns were scandalous because they sounded like the popular music of the time. Why should that be scandalous? As it's been famously said by various people, why should the devil have all the best tunes? If it helps us to sing, which is the goal of music, then it's okay to use it. Why not? And that means it's partly about singability. Some modern songs are just unsingable as a group. But some older hymns were unsingable. We just don't sing them anymore because nobody could sing them. But some of them actually had quite high points if you think about some of them. And you're never quite sure what, what sort of notes are hit. And in terms of singing along, well, drums may be permissible, but they might not be beneficial if it's just a set of drums. You know what I mean? Or, as I said a few weeks ago, and got a bit of stick, a trombone may be permissible, but by itself that might be a bit tricky to sing along to. So it's not a never, but actually those things can be uh, difficult. Instruments that follow the melody, melody line are good to learn a new song, because they tell you where you're going, and can be helpful for some songs. But in other songs, actually, they can be competing with you singing, because you're both trying to do the same thing. I only discovered this a few years ago. Actually, it's hard to hear yourself sing because you're competing with the, the instruments doing the melody line. Volume levels, well, it depends on your building. But if you can't hear yourself sing, then that's probably a sign that it's a bit, a bit loud. And if you can't hear the people around you, then it's definitely no good. Whatever the music style, whatever the, the contemporary or, or whatever, if you can't sing to it, it's not good because the goal is singing, not music. So that's our first myth. The second myth is that church is about music. Now it sounds silly when you say that. Yeah, Calvin, don't worry, we'll finish soon. <laughs> Thank you. Um, church is about music. It sounds silly when you say that, but how many people pick a church based on its musical style? Oh, I could never go there, they just have a piano. Or I could never go there, they don't sing any old hymns. They're sort of opposites, but they're both expressions in a way of the same mentality. But what matters about picking a church is the music. There might be sound-loving, God-honouring people, but if the music isn't right, then actually, yeah, we're going elsewhere. But going to church is not like going to a concert. 
Even the phrase going to church is misleading. A church is a community, a family that you belong to, not an event that you go to. So the idea of picking it on musical style is bizarre. I mean, would you pick your spouse based on what music they liked? I'm really glad that Caroline, you know, we, we ended up okay with my musical tastes. Would you refuse to adopt a child into your family because they didn't share the same taste in music? Sounds crazy when you put it like that, doesn't it? And whereas you may never deliberately sit through music you don't like at a concert, actually you should expect it at a church gathering. You should expect not to like all the songs. Because actually, different people have different tastes. And if you're not picking your church based on your musical style, a musical preference, then you probably find that not all the songs are to your liking. If we agree that church is not about the music, or, or a particular style, then why should you expect that you like all the songs? And the person next to you won't like all the songs either, but there'll probably be different ones that they don't like. Does that mean that you should be grumpy and deny the next person, the person next to you the joy of hearing you sing if you don't like the song? Some songs are not there to benefit your soul, they're to benefit the soul of the person next to you. Case in point, children's songs. Most adults don't like singing children's songs because they sound childish. But who are you singing them for? Have you ever thought about how it might encourage the children and young people in church to hear you sing along? How would you feel, or how do they feel, about singing the songs that you like? Do they sort of think that that's okay? Would you encourage them not to sing songs that they don't like if they don't like it, because they're grown-up songs? Do I like all the songs? Well, actually, no. There are some songs I pick and I don't like them. There you go. I'm not going to tell you which ones. But it's partly loving the other, isn't it? In our family, we take it in turns to pick the music in the car on long car journeys. So we get, you know, one person picks an album, the next person picks an album, or, you know, a set of music. Do I like all the songs in the car? No. Sorry, boys. Generally, it's the boys' choices. But that's part of being a family, isn't it? We love one another by putting up with other people's preferences. So church is not all about the music. It's about loving one another. Sorry, third myth, we might not do them all. Singing and music lead us, lead us into God's presence. Here's the third myth. Singing and music lead us into God's presence. So you get people who sometimes stand right, let's come into God's presence as we sing. There are conferences that promise to mediate God's presence through music. Experience God's presence as we sing. But Jesus is the one who brings us into God's presence. He is our worship leader, if you like. And we're always in God's presence thanks to Christ. It's through him that we draw near, not by a guitarist or singer. It sort of sounds crass when you put it like that, as though, you know, they could play some sort of chord and suddenly now God is present. But before that he wasn't. But that's in a way what's being claimed. Music is a wonderful gift, but it doesn't mediate God's presence. There is no sacred chord that brings down the Holy Spirit. Christ is our mediator, not Graham Kendrick. Fourthly, singing in church... It's all about me. That's the fourth myth. Singing in church is all about me. We've seen singing is not a one-to-one experience with God, which is sometimes how it's put across. It's not about getting lost in a euphoric experience. Not that that is wrong, but it's just not the whole picture. I have a friend who uh, works at a, a church down down south um, near London, and they had a friend who came up, sorry, person who came along to church. 
And they were looking for that sort of euphoric experience. They were looking to sort of get lost uh, in the singing. And they said they couldn't really stay at this church. The preaching was good, all the rest of it, but they, they, they couldn't get lost while they were singing. And apparently they came back about six months later and apologised to the person that they sort of said, I can't, can't stay here. And the guy said, well, what made you, what made you say it? He said, well, I was at a Coldplay concert. And I was singing along and everyone was singing around me. And I got lost in the music. But we weren't singing about God. We were singing about clocks or something like that in a Coldplay concert. He said, I realised that that's not what it's about. Because actually, that, how can I get that at a Coldplay concert? If that's the sort of the Holy Spirit being present, or if that's... It's not the same thing. So it's not wrong to get that euphoric experience. It's not wrong to enjoy singing. But it's not quite the same thing. It doesn't always mean that that's the Holy Spirit at work. And it doesn't also mean that if you don't get that, that it's not worth singing. Because we're singing for the people around us. As I say, we're a family, not a weekly concert. And then lastly, uh, where we started, worship equals singing. Worship equals singing. We are to worship God with the whole of our lives. As we lay down our lives as living sacrifices. But that means the whole of our life should take on a worshipful context. It should have worship in it. We should be doing all things in our life with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And that includes singing. It does. That is part of our worship. Also that singing doesn't have to be limited to Sundays. That's not in the Bible. So we could go around the house singing to the Lord, can't we? We're allowed to do that. Moses, he didn't sort of wait until a a church meeting uh, to do it. Actually, no, it was, well, God has done something amazing. I want to sing. And we should be aware here that singing involves not just the lips, but the heart. And some people have a problem here. They think, well, I don't have a worshipful and thankful heart, so I better not sing with my lips. But Jesus and Isaiah didn't give us that verse earlier to stop us praising with our lips, but to start us praising with our hearts. We can't solve our heart problem by stopping our lips. It's not the lips that have the problem, it's the heart. So we need our heart warming, not our lips stopping, if that's our problem. And if that's our problem, don't stop singing. Part of the way that God warms our heart is through his word. And if we're singing those songs that let Christ's word dwell in us richly, then actually it's the means to help warm our heart. Part of it is to encourage others. And if we don't sing, we deprive the people around us. So if you've got an issue there with a cold heart, talk to someone about it. We're made to worship But all of us have dry patches, don't we? Keep singing, keep worshipping, and keep helping one another to keep going through singing. That's one of the ways that we do it. Amen.